0: Okay, we're we're going to be back into our Through the Bible series and so we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians, but to get the background for that I want you to open up to Acts chapter 17, Acts chapter 17. And as you turn in there we'll go to the Lord in prayer. One more time that he, he anoints the, uh, the preaching of the word. Father, in Jesus' precious name, you're, you're a good God. You're perfect. You're infallible. You're the God of truth. But uh, we humans are experts at giving out fake news and deceiving people. We're people of lies. But you are a God of truth. And so I just pray, Lord, that um you would cancel the man today. You know that I've I've wasted people's time throughout the decades, both as a non-believer and even as a believer. And so I just pray, Lord, that you would cancel out the man. And that you would anoint me with your spirit to proclaim your truth so that I would not lead anyone astray. I pray, Lord, you'd open hearts and minds to receive your truth, including my own heart and mind. And then I pray that your spirit would empower us to apply these truths to our lives so that we could be all that you called us to be, so we could be pleasing in your sight, so that when you return for us, Lord, you'll say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And so I pray as we study first Thessalonians, and then eventually second Thessalonians, that the lessons that that church, a church planted by Paul, the lessons that that church learned, that we could learn those lessons as well. You're a good God, and we love you, Lord. Just help us to love you more. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. Okay, so as we start, first Thessalonians, um, uh, I wanted to give... As an introduction, a little timeline to, sh- to show you where we're at. Now, 1 Thessalonians, it starts out, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. And he writes to the church of the Thessalonians. So Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, who are they? Where are they? And um, that's what I want to look at right now. How did they get to that point of writing that letter? Now, we've got the handouts in the back, so you could you could follow along. And um, But here's a, just a brief timeline. Uh, scholars are not sure whether Jesus was crucified and then rose from the dead in 30 AD or 33 AD. Okay? Now, the timeline gets cleared up by Paul. He talks about after he got saved, which is a, about a year after the crucifixion and resurrection... Um, So Paul got saved in 31 or 34 AD when he was on the road to Damascus. Remember, he was persecuting Christians. He was Saul of Tarsus. That was his Hebrew name. And uh, about a year after Jesus' death and resurrection, he gets saved. So that's either 31 or 34 AD. Then in Galatians, he talks about three years after getting saved, he visited uh, Jerusalem and then didn't, visit them again for another, it's either another 11 years, so there's either 14 years combined, like 11 plus the three, or the three years are like separate. So basically what it amounts to is eventually the timeline just fits, whether it was 30 AD or 33 AD. So in the end, after a few years pass by, from Paul's conversion, we can pretty much trace trace everything, but Paul, he was converted a year after Jesus' death, the resurrection, so that was in the early to mid 30s AD, and then it wasn't until 46 AD, and uh, where Paul begins his first missionary journey, now he gets saved in Acts 9, he starts his first missionary journey a little bit later in the notes it might be a little misleading there, but it's Probably around uh, Acts thirteen, I believe, where he starts his first missionary journey, and um, and then I believe that the first letter that Paul wrote was his letter to the Galatians, a, a letter that we've already looked at. I preached through that, and it's Paul's preemptive strike because he's he's getting word from people coming from James, the half brother. Of Jesus, who's leading the Jerusalem church, and he's getting word. These guys are saying that James was teaching that Gentiles, non-Jews, could not be saved unless they first converted to Judaism and got circumcised. Once they become Jews, then they can trust in Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, for salvation and be saved. Well, that's a false gospel. That's a different gospel. We're saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus alone. And so I believe that Paul wrote Galatians as his preemptive strike. He wrote to the Galatians, a region in which he had preached the gospel, and um, uh, during his first missionary journey, and and he was open to the possibility there might be a Jewish heretical church and a Gentile true church. He wasn't sure how things were going to go. That's why he established his apostleship. He said, I didn't get my apostleship from man. I'm not a second-level apostle. I got my apostleship from the Lord Jesus himself. I'm a first. I was commissioned by him. I'm a first-level uh, uh, apostle. And then he says in Galatians 1, 8, and 9, even if we, meaning an apostle, or an angel from heaven preaches to you a gospel other than that which you've already received, let him be accursed. So he's, he's setting them up. He even talks about, look, So I didn't get my gospel, the good news of salvation. I didn't get that from Peter and the apostles. I'm not under them. I got it directly from Jesus. So if these guys go south, okay, I'm still going to proclaim the true gospel. He even points out that, hey, these guys gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship in the mid-40s AD. So look, it's like if they change their minds about that, that's not my fault. He even talks about how he corrected Peter when Peter didn't want to eat with the Gentile believers. So much for papal infallibility there, huh? And um, so he's making, he, he calls them the so-called pillars of the Jerusalem church. Believe me, if Paul wrote Galatians after the Jerusalem council, since they agreed with him, that the Gentiles don't have to get circumcised and don't have to become Jews to trust in Jesus for salvation. and They sent out the Jerusalem decree If Paul wrote the letter to the Galatians after the Jerusalem decree, it would have just stated, um, everything turned out great in Jerusalem. Peter, John, James, they're on board with us and see attached Jerusalem decree, okay? But instead, he's got to be open to the possibility that things may have gone south. And uh, so it makes no sense to place Galatians after um, the Jerusalem Council. Well, the Jerusalem Council held was held in 49 AD, and it's at that point that Paul began his second missionary journey. So if we could throw up the map on the second missionary journey, and I got a pointer, and it looks like I still can't read it, even with 3.0 reading glasses, but whatever the case... On that second missionary journey, um, you know, Paul is going to be based out of Antioch, Syria, okay? He's coming from the Jerusalem Council. He's based out of Antioch, Syria. There's a guy named Silas. His Roman name is Silvanus. He's, it's him, Timothy, and Silvanus. And um, I, I think Silvanus was a, a Jesus freak. Because, you know, in the Philippian jail at midnight, him and Paul were singing praises to God and then came the earthquake and all. But in Antioch of Syria, uh, they would leave there. And then um, eventually, now, they, they've been, Paul in his first missionary journey dealt with Asia Minor. There's the region of Galatia and there's Asia Minor. And, um, but everywhere they wanted to go, the um, Holy Spirit was saying, don't go there, don't go there. And so then Paul gets a, a dream or a vision of a guy in Macedonia, which is to the north of Achaia, which we would call Greece today. He gets a vision of a guy who wants the gospel preached. And so what do they do? They go to Philippi, and then eventually they go 100 miles to the southwest of that, to Thessalonica, Okay, And then from there, they get some persecution there, then they go to Berea, okay? And so Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea, keep those in mind. And so this is the first preaching of the gospel in Europe. Had it not been for that, I don't know if we would even be here today. Most of us are some kind of European descent, but the Holy Spirit said that the, the Turkey and moving further east, that people apparently weren't open to the Lord, and so there needed to be this uh, westward push into uh, Europe. And so uh, based on that uh, vision of the guy in Macedonia crying out to them to preach there, Paul, uh, during his second missionary journey, Uh, He moves on to uh, Philippi. Now, um, before that in Acts 16, when Paul, in fact, the the close of Acts 15, the Jerusalem council has ended, great news. Now Paul and Barnabas decide, let's go on a second missionary journey. We'll go back to all the places we visited earlier. And um, uh, Barnabas said, the son of encouragement, that's what his name means. He says, that's great news. Let's bring John Mark with us again. And Paul is like, wait a minute, John Mark, your nephew who bailed out on us, the young punk who bailed out, I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, the guy who, the wimp who bailed out on us, you want to give him a second chance? And this was like the, the old Marine Corps leadership debate. What comes first, the accomplishment of the mission or the welfare of the troops? Now, any good Marine would say well, the accomplishment of the mission. If it wasn't for the mission, we wouldn't be Marines. At the same time, many Marines like myself said, yes, but if you don't take care of the welfare of the troops, you won't accomplish the mission. I actually got in a lot of trouble because I had a Sergeant Major who used to say, uh, if your guys don't fear you, they won't follow you. And my response to that Sergeant Major um, is that my guys are never going to fear me more than the enemy rounds, the enemy bullets flying towards them. And so if I don't build that relationship of love with my guys, you know, when I tell a guy, I need you to go behind enemy lines and get something, I didn't see any combat. I don't want to give you the wrong idea, but there's always that possibility. But if I send a guy behind enemy lines on a mission, I want him to go because he knows that I believe he's the man for the job. I don't want him to go thinking I sent him because I don't like him and I think he's expendable. Okay, and so I have that big emphasis on the welfare of the troops, and I think that's where Barnabas was focused, focused on, yes, the accomplishment of the mission is important, but I think we should forgive John Mark, give him a second try. After all, John Mark did do pretty good. Paul later on says he's useful to me. He wanted to see him when he was about to die, and John Mark ministered um, alongside Paul even before that. And, uh, but he wrote the Gospel of Mark. So they think the kid turned out pretty good and was eventually martyred for the faith. And uh, so I actually think, the Bible doesn't say, but I actually think Paul was wrong and Barnabas was right. But God used it for good because they split up. Barnabas took John Mark on his missionary journey, and Paul took this guy, Silas. Now, Silas was a prophet. From Jerusalem, but he went up to to Antioch of Syria with paul and then um and then Paul's going to take him on that second missionary journey, whereas Barnabas takes um John Mark. well, what happens there Paul takes him and in Acts chapter sixteen um, they went to Lystra and Iconium. And uh, there he meets, in fact, first they came to Derby in Lystra, and there was a certain disciple, probably a teenager named Timothy, who was half Jewish and half Greek, and um, Paul right away wants to bring him on a missionary journey. So I, I think Paul was actually feeling guilty. I wouldn't be surprised if Timothy reminded him of John Mark. And Paul's probably having a little second thought, but God's using it for good. Sometimes there's bad church splits that God uses for good. And so we're, right now we have like two big churches that used to be one medium-sized church, and they had a split, and God continued to to work. And, um, and so I think Paul kind of felt bad, and he wanted to bring Timothy, but there was a problem. He's half Jewish. Now, this is coming out of the Jerusalem council where... Gentiles do not need, should not get circumcised for religious purposes because salvation is by God's grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus alone. It's not by, through faith in Jesus, plus obeying the law. So so you would think, well, Timothy's not full-blooded Jewish, so why why would Paul, after the Jerusalem Council, get him circumcised? Because he refused to get Titus circumcised who was full-blooded Gentile. Uh, But Paul knew because Timothy was half Jewish, because Paul, even though he was the apostle to the Gentiles, he would go first to the Jewish synagogues and preach the gospel and prove from the scriptures, from messianic prophecies. Pat's going over a series of messianic prophecies right now on his podcast. Hundreds of prophecies that Jesus fulfilled, and Paul would go into the synagogues and and preach that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, And then when he kind of get a hint or two, like maybe rocks being hurled at his head or getting beat up and run out of town, then he would say, okay, now I need to shake the dust off my sandals. And now, as the apostle to the Gentiles, go to the marketplace and preach Jesus. And then when he go to the marketplace, he use evidence of God giving us the seasons and food. God gave us a witness that he exists. There is a creator God, and I know who he is. He's unknown to you, the unknown God to the pagans in Athens but I know who he is, and he's going to judge all mankind based on this one guy, Jesus of Nazareth, and he put a stamp of approval on him by raising him from the dead. That was from Paul's sermon on Areopagus, Mars Hill, before the Stoic and Epicurean philosophers. So, um, so whatever the case, Paul recruits Timothy, but he realizes Timothy's half Jewish. And so none of the Jews are going to listen to Paul if he's got Timothy with him and he's not circumcised. So because he's half Jewish, Paul says, okay, you got to get circumcised. Now, that's commitment from Timothy, okay? I mean, when you're eight days old and your parents are Jewish and they get you circumcised, I mean, you don't have a say in the matter. When you're a teenager, it's like, hey, got good news. Paul wants you to join his team. It's like, oh, that's great. Bad news, though you got to get circumcised first, okay? So that's that's commitment there, okay? And uh, so I'm sure they had to take a few days off for the poor guy to heal up. But he recruits young Timothy. He's bringing Silas with them. In Acts chapter 16, as they're preaching, they're being followed around uh, by a, uh, a girl who's a, basically a sorcerer. A uh, demon is speaking through her, and she's like into div- divination and predicting the future and things like that. And her, the slave girl, her owners are making a lot of money off of that. And she, and Paul, and she, she's even she's even following them, saying, uh, "These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation." So you would think with an announcement like that, that'd be a good thing, but God doesn't want demons preaching the gospel, okay? Uh, also, some translations would say a God. Well, then that would be a false, what she's saying. But either way, Paul got fed up with it and cast a demon out of her, which cost her owner or her master a lot of money, got him in trouble. And, um, you know, there's a lot of people who are making a lot of money right now through pharmaceutical stuff. And don't get me wrong, I got sciatic nerve stuff. So I'm glad that pharmacists will give me what I need to get through the next week. But the idea that we're going to just worship whatever the pharmaceutical companies, multi-billion dollar companies say, you know. So I'm not on board. I think I think each person, if the government wants to make suggestions, that's fine. Um, I'm not pro vaccine I don't like the guys who worked on it I don't like uh that they're transhumanist the the guys that sponsored it that they're into population control I just don't trust the guys okay and they're globalists so um if you trust them that's your business you make that decision but an awful lot of Christians said no and uh Pfizer's real upset about that so just keep in mind that we're still in the business of by preaching the gospel and not trusting in the wisdom of man instead of trusting in God. We're still in the business every once in a while. We tick off people in positions of power. I've got lots of friends, and there's lots of people here that have been vaccinated and lots that aren't vaccinated. But I think even the Christian brothers and sisters that got vaccinated would agree that this is not something that should be forced on us. Well, that makes Pfizer, because they worship the almighty dollar, that makes them real upset. And so we're still in the business. I'm, I'm telling you, uh, during the great revivals in America, what happened during the great revivals in America? The bars would close down, okay? And so if the bars were c- closed down, that's going to affect uh, people economically. All I'm saying here is preach the gospel. And if people get upset because of that, that's, you know, that's between them and the Lord. But we got to preach Jesus. If that puts pornographers out of business, bars out of business, uh, pharmaceutical companies don't make the billions that they want to make. Hey, my intention was just to preach Jesus. And that's all Paul was doing. And he ticked off people in positions of power, and that got Paul and Silas both thrown into a Philippian jail. And um, so they end up getting tossed into a Philippian jail. Silas was the guy, uh, It's around 50 AD, Silas was the guy who was singing praise songs with Paul in the middle of the night. Then the earthquake occurred, and we remember how the Philippian jailer, you know, eventually asked him, what must I do to be saved? And they gave him the gospel message. And, um, but whatever the case, then Paul plants the church in Thessalonica, the Thessalonian church, about 50 A.D. And um, and so now let's pick it up in Acts 17. And uh, we'll look at the first few verses there. Uh, and it says, now when they, that's Paul, Timothy, and Silas, Now when they had passed through uh, Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ, the Messiah, had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded. And a great multitude of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. So there's some Jews and many Gentiles that are getting saved from Paul's preaching and Paul's convincing them, okay? Verse 5 of Acts 17. But the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason, poor guy, and some brethren of the rulers of the city crying out, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Boy, wouldn't that be nice if we were known as the people who turned the world upside down? Okay, that's what true revival is. You know, you ask, what's going on in Asbury? I don't know. I mean, you know, my definition of revival, I can't tell you when it's happening. My understanding of revival, it has long-lasting fruit, long-lasting good effects. So maybe ask me in five years or 10 years or 20 years. Uh, Pat and I were talking about that on the phone and... uh, and I said, the only if there was genuine revival in my lifetime, it was Chuck Smith and the Calvary Chapel movement when he was leading hippies to Christ. That stood the test of time. Because of the Jesus Freak movement, the Jesus People movement, all these hippies <clears throat> professing faith in Christ. I mean, you had David Berg and the Children of God, a sex cult. You had drug cults. Uh, Carl knows a lot about that movement. He was part of the whole movement. But when the smoke cleared, about 85% of that movement was just hyper-emotionalism, okay? But of that fifty percent, 15%, there was true revival, and a big chunk of that was the Calvary Chapel movement where millions of people around the globe and thousands of churches preaching the gospel are going, I mean, pray for the Calvary chapels because a big chunk of them, there's a big split going on now, uh, It's divided almost down the middle where some of them are going woke now. And that's going to happen even when there's true revival. Satan will eventually damage things. And the crazy thing was, as I told Pat, I said, "So I can't call it revival. I'm all for preaching Jesus, preaching God's truth, okay? And for people committing their lives to Christ, there's going to be some emotions there and all. But I want to see where those young people are 10 years from now before I'm going to call it revival. So I'm kind of, those who are calling it revival automatically, that's way too quick. Those who are slamming, it's totally not from God. You better have some good evidence it's not from God. When people are falling down and there's holy laughter and all kinds of uh, uh, anti-biblical practices and false doctrines being taught, yeah, then I know it's not revival. But the only way I'm going to know it's revival, I've got to see years later. What comes out of it, and so be praying for that. And um, um, I'm open; it's true revival, but we're not going to know for some time, okay? And um, but whatever the case, uh, Paul preached the gospel there in Th- uh, Thessalonica, and they 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 said they said, "Oh, these are the guys that turned the world upside down." So they came from Thessalonica. Yeah, Well, they were uh, persecuting them. So Jason, Jason had harbored them. So he had put them up in his house. That's why he was getting whooped on. And these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. So by saying Jesus was the Jewish Messiah and the king of kings, they were using that as an excuse to get them in trouble with the Romans. And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. So when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. So they, they probably paid bail or whatever. And so verse 10, then the brethren immediately sent, the Paul, uh, sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. It's like, we got to get them out of Thessalonica. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. So now they're in Berea. It says, these were more fair-minded. Some translations read more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica. So to this day, if you're called a Berean, that means you do what it says here in that they received the word with all readiness, with all eagerness, and searched the scriptures daily, study the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. See, Paul as an apostle with apostolic authority did not want you to accept him or the other apostles' word for it. They wanted you to search the scriptures and test what the apostles say. Forget about papal infallibility. You're not going to find that in the Bible. We have an inerrant, infallible Bible and then fallible uh, men leading the church. And you've got to test what is taught, test all things with the scriptures. And um, it says, Therefore, many of them believed, and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was preached by Paul at Berea, they came there also and stirred up the crowds. Then immediately the brethren sent Paul away to go to the sea, but both Silas and Timothy remained there. So Silas and Timothy remained in that area. And so those who conducted, Paul brought him to Athens and receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him with all speed, they departed. So Paul's saying, hey, catch up with me, guys. But Paul's got to go to Athens. That's where he preaches. He's all alone in Athens. He sees the statues of the false gods, And he sees one statue to the unknown God. And he says, hey, the one God you don't know. I know him. He's the God who created the heavens and the earth. And Paul preaches the gospel. And he says that God is going to judge the world through one man. And he put a stamp of approval on that one man by raising him from the dead. And so Paul preaches the gospel there in uh, Athens, in and Greece, in and Achaia. And, um, and, uh, but what I want to note here is by saying that the Bereans were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, it makes it sound like the Thessalonians were a bag of worms. When we read 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, we're going to see they weren't a bag of worms. The church in Thessalonica was a strong church that had faith, hope, and love. And faith, hope, and love always translates into labor and work for God's kingdom. They had a great report card. So you got to understand that this passage in Acts 17, 11, when he's saying that the Bereans were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, he's talking about the Jewish religious leaders in the synagogue. In Berea, the Jewish religious leaders in the synagogues searched the scriptures and said, this guy is right, man. These prophecies were fulfilled by Jesus. Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. In Thessalonica, it didn't go that well, so they got beat on. But the church that was there, the church that Paul planted, both Jew and Gentile, they were, they were right in the midst of all this persecution, and they were still preaching Jesus, and they were serving the Lord. So keep in mind, what he's talking about is the synagogue leaders in Thessalonica, anti-Jesus. The synagogue leaders in Berea pro Jesus because they searched the scriptures and saw. This reminds me of my old. He just he just went to be with the Lord not too long ago. Eventhal. he um, uh, was one of the captains in the nineteen sixties of the UCLA football team. Okay, and there's a crazy campus crusade for Christ guy there that was, and he was Jewish, Barry Levinthal was Jewish. So he was going over Old Testament prophecies with him, trying to prove that these were written, you know, hundreds of years. You're a Jew, you know these were written hundreds of years before Jesus walked the earth, and Jesus fulfilled these prophecies. And the crazy guy was Hal Lindsey. His name was Hal Lindsey,
1: but nobody knew who
0: he was back then in the 1960s. It was before he wrote the late great planet Earth and the 1980s countdown to Armageddon and stuff like that. But he was trying to lead Barry Leventhal to the Lord. And Barry Leventhal said, that sounds all good, but that's your Christian Bible. So I'm going to go home to to my dorm tonight, and I'm going to look it up in my English translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. It's called the Tanuk. He went home and looked at it, and he's like, the first thing that came to his mind is, man, these Christians have a really good translation, English translation. The Old Testament sounds just like mine. So the next day he saw Hal Lindsey and said, well, yeah, yeah, it makes a lot of sense, but I'm going to talk to my rabbi. So then Barry Laventhal talked to his rabbi, and the rabbi told him, don't talk to that Hal Lindsey guy anymore and stop reading those passages And he said, well, Rabbi, I just want you to tell me what they really mean if they don't mean what the Christians think it means. And he said, I told you, don't read those passages. And so Barry Leventhal looked at his rabbi and didn't say it, but thought to himself, oh, no, Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. And um, Jay Sekula, another Jewish guy that converted to Christian, Mike Brown, and it's usually, Michael Brown's usually from the Old Testament prophecies where you can see that Jesus fulfilled these prophecies, especially Isaiah 53, Psalm 22, good places to start. Well, the Bereans searched the scriptures and said, oh, whoa, whoa, man, you're right. Jesus of Nazareth is the Jewish Messiah. In Thessalonica, the synagogue leader said, you're, you bad guys, you're turning the world upside down. You're telling us there's another king besides Caesar? Hey, since when do the Jews respect the Gentile king? Only when Jesus butts head with the Gentile king. And so just keep in mind that it's the synagogue leaders in Thessalonica who are all messed up. Paul planted a beautiful church there, and these people were hungry for Jesus and um and so after um paul preaches in athens then he goes to corinth and he meets aquila and priscilla there and so he's planting a church in corinth in 51 ad and then timothy and silas in acts 18 1 to 5 rejoin paul in corinth and um, and so he's in Corinth, verse 8, 18, verse 1, he leaves Athens. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. And that's where he meets Aquila and, and Priscilla. And then in verse 5, when Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, okay, that's where Thessalonica and Berea and Philippi are, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. So Paul begins to plant the church in Corinth in 51 A.D., and he's back with Timothy and Silas, okay? And so that's what, that's going to explain the greeting. Paul Silvanus, Silvanus is just the Roman name of uh, Silas. Silas is his Jewish name. Now keep in mind... Um, When Paul, I looked it it up, I was kind of, boy, how did I miss that when I preached on Acts? Paul tells the Romans, you scourged. He didn't say you scourged a Roman citizen without a trial. You guys are in trouble. When he was in, in the Philippian jail after the earthquake, he's like, man, you guys are in trouble. But he didn't say that you scourged one Roman citizen. He said you scourged Roman citizens. So Silas, also known as Silvanus, probably also had Roman citizen, citizenship as well. And, um, but uh, whatever the case, let me just, uh, so Paul writes 1 Thessalonians with Timothy and Silas Silvanus by his side in Corinth about 51 AD. Um, only Galatians was an earlier letter written by Paul. Uh, by the way, this is not stuff you can make up just the fact that I can connect all the dots there, that's why the most liberal anti-Christian scholars that you'll find will accept at least seven of Paul's 13 letters as authentic. And um, and then when you listen to the reasons for rejecting the other six, those are bogus reasons. But um, that's why when I tell you, well, New Testament scholars say this, I'm, I'm usually turning to the enemy. Most New Testament scholars became critics because they wanted to criticize and attack the New Testament. And so when they acknowledge something is true, that's like enemy attestation. That's going to the enemy for your evidence. And um, But Paul writes, 1 Thessalonians with Timothy and Silas, also known, known as Silvanus by his side in Corinth 51 AD. Only Galatians was an earlier letter of Paul. Also, I'd like to just throw in there, Silas may have been Peter's scribe, for First Peter, um, because it's it's a yeah, in First Peter chapter five verses twelve and thirteen, I told Pat I wasn't going to turn to it, but I actually am. Um, I told him I, I got to do it as the Holy Spirit leads, so he can't. That way, he can't get mad at me. But First Peter five verses twelve and thirteen, he's. Peter says, By Silvanus, our faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. She who is in Babylon, that's code. There was hardly anybody in Babylon back then. Um, That's code for Rome. So Peter's in Rome at this time. She who is in Babylon, elect together with you, greet you, and so does Mark, my son. So John Mark was there with Peter and Silas, and Silas may have been a scribe. At least his Greek was better than Peter. Um, some liberal critics reject second Peter um, because the Greek is so much choppier than first Peter. How could Peter's Greek
1: get worse
0: rather than better? And it's probably, he says, by Silvanus, uh, I have written to you briefly. And so uh, Silas was probably pretty good in the Greek, and, and Peter's looking for words, and Silas is helping him out through the power of God and kind of co-authoring First Peter with him. I mean, you're talking really high up on the food chain here. And by the way, just read my Hijacking the Historical Jesus, the chapter on redating the New Testament. I actually date First Peter to about 45 A.D., Second Peter, it's either 64 or 67 AD, when Peter's about to be executed. Um, but I think that 1 Peter was written very, very early. And the Greek is superior to 2 Peter uh, because Silas there was there in Rome with Peter and John Mark uh, possibly five years before the planting of the Thessalonian church and probably helped Peter uh, with the Greek uh, of that. So um, uh, whatever the case, we're now going to look at 1 Thessalonians. I just found it interesting, too, that we just went over 13 basic Christian doctrines. And it's always interesting to read through one of Paul's letters. Paul, when he writes a letter, he's not saying, guys, here are the basic Christian doctrines, okay? He's just addressing the issues they got going. If they need to be commended he commends them. If they need to be corrected, he corrects them, okay? So when he talks about either like events from the life of Jesus or he talks about basic Christian doctrines, it's just kind of in passing. And so I just found that it was kind of interesting that Paul mentions, even just in chapter one alone, all three persons of the Trinity. And obviously Paul teaches there's only one God. But the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. So that's the doctrine of the Trinity. He calls Jesus our Lord, Jesus Christ. And in religious context, the kurios there means he's calling Jesus Yahweh. So it teaches the deity of Christ that Jesus is God. He talks about Jesus' death, saving us through his death, his resurrection, and his future return. And that we have salvation from God's wrath through Jesus. He talks about the Bible being the ultimate authority, the word of God. He talks about the church, the ecclesia, of which uh, Thessalonica was a local church. He talks about angels. He talks about Satan. So you can get just from this book alone, one, two, five. You can get 10 of the 13 doctrines that he mentions right there. And so that shows how important uh, basic Bible doctrines are. Now I got 10th graders that I'm teaching among other students and I asked them for a show of hands. These are great kids. One of my best classes. I don't say that about all my classes. And, um, but I asked the 10th graders that I'm teaching right now, this one class of like 10 or 11 students, um, how many of you think that we're going to live forever and ever and ever as disembodied spirits without bodies? And they all raised their hands. And I told them I wasn't upset with them. I'm upset with the preaching that they've had. The American preaching is just watered down. And there's some godly pastors out there that will preach the future bodily resurrection of believers. But, you know, sometimes you miss that sermon or whatever. But there's such poor doctrinal preaching that's going on that most Christian young people... And then Christian adults believe in the immortality of the soul and don't even know that we're going to receive our resurrection bodies someday. And that's very, very sad um, that, you know, Plato believed the whole goal was the soul to escape the body. Christian doctrine teaches if a believer dies, their body rots in the grave and their spirit goes to be immediately with the Lord. You have conscious disembodied existence until Jesus returns, and then your body will be raised. The mortal body will put on immortality. It will be in the likeness of Jesus' resurrection body, and we're going to live forever and ever with our resurrection bodies. My wife can't wait to get her resurrection body. She's lived a life of suffering, okay? Uh, I'm a little more patient about getting my resurrection body out of, you know, fear of death and things like that, but every once in a while when I get sciatica... You're hoping, you're saying, bring it on, Lord. Give me my resurrection body. Um, But basic Christian doctrines, this is what we call theology. Theology is not a bad word. And by the way, everybody has a theology. And if you don't think studying Bible doctrines is important, then you will probably have a bad theology. Okay? And... um, so it's really, really sad, but Paul could just write a little tiny personal letter and he's got theology, he's got Bible doctrine in it. We have to understand, the American church doesn't get it, we have to understand right behavior is based on right doctrines. Good behavior is based on true doctrines, true biblical teachings. And if we're going to be teaching mush, we want to get right into it, right into the practical stuff. Oh, that theology is, is not relevant. It's, it's not pragmatic or whatever. Let's get right into the behavior. And you, you end up raising a generation of Christians who are trying to live Christian lives and do the right thing without even knowing who Jesus is, without even knowing the true gospel. Without even knowing about important biblical doctrines like the future resurrection um, of believers, and um, and so whatever the case, it was important for Paul. Now let's go into First Thessalonians, chapter one. First Thessalonians, chapter one, and that starts out with Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. So hopefully you know who they are after the after the introduction. And um, this is after they were split up, after planting the Thessalonian church and then going to Berea. And then the Thessalonian evil people came down there and Paul had to free, flee to Athens. Timothy and Silas stayed in the area for a while. Timothy probably got back to Thess- Thessalonica so that Paul could receive this good message. As a teenager, he probably wouldn't have been considered as much of a threat as Paul or Silas. But Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's look there at verse 1. So from Paul, Silas, remember Silvanus is the Roman name for Silas, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church, the ecclesia, the called-out assembly Thessalonica. You know, I'm not going to yell at you. I might even do it myself if somebody says, where's your church? And we give the address of this building, okay? But as I preached when we first moved here about a year and a half ago, this building is not the church. We are the church. We are the called-out assembly, okay? It's amazing. We're a called-out assembly, called out of the world, and yes, we're to love the, the world, love people, and try to preach the gospel to them. We don't love the evil world system, but sometimes we're called out of the world, but, and we need to find common ground with the world when we witness to them. But sometimes we focus so much on finding common ground that we become the world, okay? Don't flee from Christ because you say, well, I just don't fit in with this world anymore. Hey, if you fit in with the world and you call yourself a Christian, something's wrong. This world doesn't love Jesus. We had it so good in America, where America was so biblically based for so long that even non-Christians would live by Christian morality, okay? I remember when Promise Keepers started. And... um, There were many people being led to the Lord and things of that sort. But there was this big emphasis that I'm not only going to be a Christian, but I'm going to be a Christian who keeps my word. And I thought, is the American church that bad? And the fact is, it is. Is the American church that bad where you have to teach Christian men to keep their promises, be men of their word? In my dad's generation, even the atheists were men of their word. Guys shake hands with you, make a deal, and he'd stand by it. And uh, people signed contracts back then. I, I'm non believers. I knew non believers who would get married and take a vow till death do its part and then had miserable marriages. And these non believing guys would stay with their spouse because I took a vow, I gave my word. And now we live in a day and age where even the church is filled with men who need to be reminded that we should be men of our words. Um, but we're the called-out assembly, okay? Yeah, I got to face the reality the first 21 years of my life. I was a dead man. I was a walking dead man. Before you came to Christ, you were a dead person too. And Jesus calls, called you out of death into life, into his assembly. And so if you feel like we don't fit in today, you wait ten years from now and see how much we fit in. Um believe me, um, you know, Naomi Wolf, she was a radical woman's liber. And then as time went on, she started hanging out with Ron Paul and his people, the libertarians, and started arguing for limited government. And now she's seeing cancel culture, and she's standing up for free speech, and all her liberal, radical Marxist friends don't want anything to do with her anymore. And then she saw the way the government got so controlling with COVID-19, using it as an excuse to uh, enslave people and shut down businesses and shut down churches. And she became she started going back to her Jewish roots. She was raised in Judaism but didn't really believe. And so she, she ended up believing in, in God but not becoming a Christian and not being outspoken. But now because of COVID-19, she writes in her book, The Body of Others, that she decided Satan is real. I'm seeing him unleash his wickedness through the government and just stamp trampling over people's rights and freedoms. And um, so then she began to say, I not only need to go to my synagogue and embrace God's existence, I need to start being outspoken about God's existence. Well, now she started reading some kooky, Jewish rabbi from Wayne, New Jersey, who got saved and still considers himself a rabbi who proclaims Jesus as the Jewish Messiah, Jonathan Kahn. I don't agree with everything the guy said. I think God's given him somewhat of a prophetic voice in sounding the warning, but sometimes I think he just gets into too many details that just aren't necessarily, I don't, I don't see that they're as biblical as he does, but now she's open to him because he's a Jewish rabbi who proclaims Jesus, and she just wrote a big article that she thinks he's exactly right, that the reason why America's getting so wicked and our government's getting so demonic is because we're turning our back on the God of the Bible, and that's opening up doors for the evil demonic realm to come in. So be praying for people like Naomi Wolf. We have a wide open door right now with radical leftists who still believe in freedom of speech, so they're not on board with woke culture and um, with censorship. And um, and so we're going to actually be able to witness to a lot of people coming from the left, but uh, what she's starting to realize is this culture has gotten so anti-biblical – that now all of a sudden Jews who are getting serious about their Jewish faith are starting to see that maybe these Christians aren't so bad after all, okay? And so there's a door opening up. But we are the ecclesia. We are a called-out assembly. That's the universal church, all true believers, the local church. We should stick out like a sore thumb. If you you just had a spiritual picture of Kitsap County, you'd see almost complete darkness with a few dots of light. And Trinity Bible Fellowship needs to be one of those dots of light. Okay? People talk about this Asbury thing and revival and stuff. Hey, until these lights in the darkness of our community start getting brighter and brighter and start impacting the darkness on a cultural, generational scale, how do we know that we have revival? All I know is no repentance, no revival. And Everybody wants revival. Nobody wants to repent. Okay? I pray this Asbury thing is from God. I don't know. All I know is, you know, it's like Paul said, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. Okay? And um, so... Um, but I'll just, basically, we're called out. We've been called out to assemble in the name of Jesus. And so, yeah, we're going to look different. And the more our culture hates Jesus, the more it's going to hate us. Jesus said, if you find the world hates you, know it has hated me before it hated you. Now, the city of Thessalonica was one of the first cities in Europe evangelized by Paul right after Philippi, They went there based on a vision of a man in Macedonia in Acts chapter 16, verses 6 to 10. Uh, Philippi and Thessalonica were in the region of Macedonia. Philippi was about 100 miles from Thessalonica. It was a port city and a commercial center. It's one of the wealthiest cities of the Roman Empire with a population of 200,000. It was the capital and largest city of Macedonia. Paul established Thessalonica As the home base for the spread of the gospel in Macedonia and Greece, pretty much the home base for the spread of the Gentile mission work of Paul in Europe, okay? And he starts this letter by saying, grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace, the Greek word is charis. He's saying, I wish God's favor and God's blessings upon you. Guess what? Charis was the Greek blessing. Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. Uh, the word irene in the Greek is the, word, the Greek word for peace. The Jewish word is shalom. And that was the, 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 the Jewish greeting freedom from worries and stress and strife. Paul takes both grace and peace to the Jew and to the Gentile. In the midst of this dark world, may the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob pour his favor and his blessings upon you. May the God of Israel bring to both Jew and Gentile peace. And and Paul starts out, and this is from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Guess what? They're not competing with each other. He's going to also talk about a little bit further on, the Holy Spirit, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Do you realize whenever you knee bows before Jesus and say that Jesus Christ is Lord, that Jesus Christ is Yahweh, it's going to be to the glory of God the Father. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the three persons who are the triune God, the one God who is three persons, they're not in competition um, with each other. And so uh, I close this message today. We'll pick it up at verse 2 next week. But I wish upon you God's grace. And I wish upon you God's peace. And we live in a culture right now, we're not going to feel like we're receiving a whole lot of grace and peace. But don't look for grace and peace from this world. Look for grace and peace from our God. And I'm going to close with a verse. Pat, I'm throwing you another monkey wrench. Jeremiah, chapter 2. I got to find the right verse here. Jeremiah chapter 2 It's where Jeremiah, I think it's uh no. Is it 1 verse 9? Where's Jeremiah? What's the passage where Jeremiah gets tired of preaching because he's always getting beat up on and uh Is it 2-9? I nope, can't even find it. Um, whatever the case, in the pa- this passage that I'm looking for, when I find it, I'll, I'll let you know. And uh, But Jeremiah's getting tired of getting beat up for preaching Jesus. And certainly Paul, Silas, and Timothy knew what it was like getting beat up for proclaiming the gospel. Is it Jeremiah 20 verse? I think it's 20 verse 9. He's getting tired for preaching Jesus yeah, I accidentally- once I said it was jeremiah nineteen nine and um that's a passage about eating your children, and so lady wrote it down and uh and I corrected it after the sermon, but jeremiah twenty verse nine jeremiah's he's preaching Jesus he's doing what God's called him he's doing what he's doing what later on Paul was doing and Silas was doing and Timothy was doing. And after a while, you get tired of getting beat up on. For me, it's friendly fire. That's what drags me down. When Christian brother, when the world starts attacking me and Christian brothers side with them. Yeah, that Phil, he's always going overboard and this and that. And you get tired. You get weary. You feel like giving up. So you have to get beat up a few times and thrown into a pit and being in prison. Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 9 said this. And this is why, if we want to be God's assembly, If we want to experience God's grace and God's peace, this is the attitude that we got to have. Even when we're down or getting beaten and getting battered. Jeremiah said, then I said, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name. By the way, he was preaching to the the Jews. That'd be like preaching to the church and the church beats you up because you preach the truth. Don't do that in church. Then I said, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name. I'm tired of getting whooped and beat up. I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name, but his word was in my heart like a burning fire. Shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back, and I could not. This is why Paul said, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. You are the church. We are the called-out assembly. When it gets hotter in the kitchen, that means we got to crank it up and preach Jesus more. If the church doesn't preach the gospel, who's going to do it? You think the atheists are going to do it? We're a called-out assembly. I'm not, you know, if you preach Jesus, you end up getting beat up and getting in prison. Don't get mad at me. I'm telling you, that's probably what's going to happen. But I'm just telling you, we were called to preach Jesus because we are the church. We're not the only Bible-believing Bible-preaching church in Kitsap County. There's others, and throughout the country and throughout the world. And there is revival going on in third-world countries right now. But God's called us to preach Jesus. We're a called-out assembly, and we're called out with a purpose. And if you preach Jesus even when it's not popular, even when you lose friends, even if you end up losing your job, when you preach Jesus, Paul will say grace and peace be upon you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't look for grace and peace from this world. They're just lying to you. You find your grace in your peace in king jesus and in the father and in the holy spirit let god be true and every man a liar let's preach jesus no matter how much this world hates jesus we're going to preach jesus and guess what it might be in a prison cell it might be running in the woods living in the woods you preach Jesus as the called-out assembly, and you receive God's grace and God's peace. Um, this persecution is going to separate the men from the boys. That already occurred in Thessalonica, and Paul said, "I'm proud of you guys because your faith, hope, and love." And so, woe is me, and woe is you, if we don't preach Jesus. The worst things get, you say, Come, Lord, come. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, come. Come back and make things right upon the earth. Father Jesus' precious name, I pray, Lord. I pray a blessing that Paul prayed a blessing over the Thessalonians, the church that he planted. I pray a blessing over our people. This is the, the church that you empowered me to plant with other faithful people, other faithful servants. And so may your grace and your peace be upon these people, Lord. Be upon this body of believers. May the Lord keep them and bless them. May may your face shine upon them. Be gracious unto us, Lord. Be gracious unto us. May our grace and peace come from you, living in a culture that rejects you, a culture that, that wants you out. May we remain true. May we proclaim Jesus no matter what the world says until your son returns in glory to take his stand upon the earth. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. God bless you, everybody. Don't forget the potluck downstairs. Stay up here. Okay, so stay up here, you can only make matters worse